Our cases here at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed involve physical, mental, and emotional trauma. Please listen with caution and care. Reach out to 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, if you or someone you love needs help. No one is alone. Hey. Hey, everyone. Mel and Beck here. We just wanted to drop in and remind you to follow us on our social medias. So our Instagram and our Facebook are Rocky Mountain Red Handed, and our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. Yeah, so go and check out our social medias. We always post great pics that have to do with our uh, cases, case notes, anything that we find interesting, we share with you guys. Also, Mel, what's that email address? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us in your case recommendations. We want to know about local cases in your community and how they have affected your towns. So hit us up. Let us know of of the cases you want to hear in the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, Mel. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? Good, good. We have got some new listeners, and we're so excited to have you all here. It's so fun to have everyone joining us today. Yeah, it's so fun to have new listeners. And before we get started in our episode, we just had the nicest comment. Um, so many nice comments. So but this one nice. just barely came in. Yes, yes. So S. Carter Gibbs on Instagram said, new listener here, and I love it. Good job, gals. Oh, and that's it's so fun to wake up and see such a nice comment to us. So yes, we really great. appreciate so, that. Yeah. Welcome to everyone who's just joining us for the first time, or if you've been here since the start, we love you. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah. Thanks so much. So we'll jump into our story. We've got a great case today, Mel. So Mel, how long would it take for someone to notice that you have gone missing? Well, with cell phones these days and the constant connections that we're making with people, probably not very long. I know, like, whether it's good or bad, we really can track, like, each other every single moment of the day, right? Yeah, it's true. How about you? How long would it take? Oh, I don't think it would take too long. My daughter tracks me during school. I'm like, get off your cell phone. But she's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Are you going to Target? (laughs) So, I mean, my family, we track each other constantly with like an app that we have. So I definitely know when like my kids leave the school grounds and like I know when my husband's making stops. So I think that we know pretty quick. Yeah. I I tend to ignore my phone when I don't want to talk on it. So maybe it would take a little bit longer. I'm like, nope, don't want to talk to you right now. (laughs) Ignore. So it might take a little longer. Yeah. Well, our story today is about two women that went missing before the time of cell phones and satellites. To this day, they have not been able to be identified. We hope that by telling their story, they will be reunited with their names and loved ones. Yeah, each each year, over 600,000 people go missing in the United States. Oh, that number's way too high. I know. Fortunately, many missing children and adults are quickly found alive and well. 
However, tens of thousands of individuals remain missing for over a year, Mal. Then that's what many agencies consider cold cases, as once it hits a year, it's cold. Oh, so sad. On any given day in the United States, there are approximately 90,000 active missing person cases in the National Crime Information Center, also known as NCIC. Mm-hmm. Um, the missing person cases are just especially hard because... You don't know if they decided to run off on their own. Um, have they been murdered? Have they been kidnapped? Have they been sold? Yeah. Like uh, the, We can't even get into the, the human trafficking. It's so upsetting. Yeah. yeah, so today we will share a sad story, but also a story that shines a bright light on the agencies, organizations, the detectives, scientists, everybody who comes together to work so hard for these victims. Yeah, this is the story of Bitter Creek Betty and Sheridan County Jane Doe The 1992 Does of Wyoming. Sunday, March 1st, 1992, the air in southwest Wyoming was cold. It hovered just above freezing as many truck drivers drove down Interstate 80 with their heat turned all the way up. They kept their hands wrapped around a hot cup of coffee balanced on the big steering wheel. By 4.30 p.m. that afternoon, one of these truck drivers, Nebraska native Barbara Leverton, was ready for a break. She needed to switch out fuel tanks on her rig and grab a fresh cup of coffee. She pulled into the Bitter Creek truck turnout, which is about 40 miles east of Rock Springs in Sweetwater County. My dad was born in Sweetwater County. Oh, so sweet. Shout out to Becky's dad. Yeah, his birthday is January 1st. Uh So the state gave his dad a case of um, blue ribbon beer. Oh, that's so And his mom like a chicken or something like that. (laughs) Interesting. Okay, there you go. And your dad owns chickens now, so there you go. (laughs) So Barbara sipped her coffee and gazed across the expanse towards the interstate. Something in the distance caught her eye. She focused on the object and at first thought it must be trash bags. But something just wasn't right. She said something about the curve um, had grabbed her attention. The trash bags were in the shape of a person, like a body. The sun began to set, and she was losing sight by the second. She walked towards the outlying field, and as she got closer, details began to materialize. No, that was not trash bags. It was a person. It was a woman, and she was nude. Lying at the bottom of the embankment, Barbara saw a woman face down with her head turned to the side. Her naked body was cradled into the melting snow. In 1992, no one had cell phones, but truck drivers were some of the most connected people on the planet. Yeah, they had their huge web of CB radios that literally connected them 24 hours a day from coast to coast. Yeah, these truckers really were ahead of the game in terms of being connected. I never really thought about it, but yeah, the the truckers, they have a huge information network long before anyone else did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Barbara hopped on her CB radio and reached out to her community of truck drivers for help. Within minutes, a fellow driver heard her plea and relayed the emergency message to law enforcement. Sweetwater County Sheriff's Officer responded and an investigation began. By the location of the young woman's body, law enforcement believed that she must have been thrown from a truck traveling westbound on I-80. This case is like really a tough one, Mel. That poor girl, she's tossed out of a moving truck. Mm-hmm. So upsetting. So mm-hmm. It took over 24 hours for her body to defrost. The icy wind and snow had kept the normal decomposition at bay and the body was actually in very good condition. 
Yeah, with no one contacting the police for an urgent missing persons report, the police did all that they could to reach out. Yeah, they canvassed the surrounding communities in hopes of finding this woman's family or friends. And nobody responded. The Sweetwater County Sheriff's Office had a Jane Doe on their hands. The victim became affectionately known as Bitter Creek Betty, named after the location where she was recovered. The medical examiner estimated Bitter Creek Betty had laid buried in the snow for one to five months before she was discovered by Barbara Leverton. Yeah, the cold weather really did help preserve her remains, including DNA. Yeah, Wyoming is so bitterly cold. Have you spent time in Wyoming? Um, I lived in North Dakota for a while, so you and know. that was... <laughs> You know about cold. Oh, so cold. Yeah. It's so sad to think about this poor um, girl being tossed to the side yeah. of the road, but we are grateful it was in the winter and it held back that decomposition. Yeah. Her date of death was sometime between October of 1991 and February of 1992. Bitter Creek Betty had suffered during her last moments on earth. There was evidence of trauma to her face, neck, and jaw. She had also been brutally raped and sodomized. Her cause of death is believed to be homicide by stabbing. A long, sharp instrument was inserted through her left nostril. The object, which was possibly an ice pick, penetrated her sphenoid bone. The sphenoid bone is located at the central skull base and separates the intra and the extra cranial structure. So I just... I, I seriously pray that she had lost consciousness before this happened. Oh, that just sounds so awful. Mm -hmm. It is the main conduit for several cranial nerves. Yeah, so with damage to Betty's sphenoid, death would have been almost immediate, like instant. Yeah. Like we mentioned previously, Bitter Creek Betty had been preserved by all of the cold elements. Because of the cold, her body and DNA evidence was spared the normal decomposition rate. Yeah, and I'm so glad that they preserved this DNA evidence, even though back in 19 92, they weren't really sure what to do with it or if it would ever be helpful, mm -hmm. but they did preserve that evidence, which is amazing. Well, and we hear cases where they had the evidence and then they thrown it away because, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I'm so grateful that they still kept that around. Yeah. You can see her photo on our social medias. We'll post that there um, at Rocky Mountain Red Handed. Um, it has been circulated throughout the media. Yeah. It is a postmortem photo. Um, it's in really good condition, but we do want to let you know that it's it's been thoroughly uh, circulated, but we do want to let you know that is, it is postmortem. Many details were released in effort to identify Bitter Creek Betty. Her fingerprints and pictures were taken and entered into the national databases. Based on ancestral DNA, Bitter Creek Betty was of South American and European descent. She was between 24 and 32 years old. She was 5 foot 8 inches tall and around 130 pounds at the time of her death. She had collar length brown hair and brown eyes. She was discovered nude, so no clothing was found on her body to help with the case. Yeah, she was wearing a gold necklace and a plain gold band on her left fourth finger. Which pretty much sounds like a wedding ring, wouldn't you say, Mel? Yeah, that's a really good mm -hmm. possibility. I mean, there could be a husband and children out there as well. Which is interesting that they she hadn't been reported missing at this time. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. but. So it is believed that Bitter Creek Betty had at least one child. She had a vertical C-section scar across her abdomen. She also had a one-inch scar on her left calf. And Betty had had dental work done in the past, so we know she hasn't been living a 
fully transient lifestyle throughout our life. Yeah. Recovered not far from the body, police found a pair of pink panties and sweatpants that they believe could have possibly belonged Mm -hmm. to Betty. So Betty's most unique identification feature was a red rose tattoo on her right breast. We have posted a photo of this tattoo on our social medias. Yeah, the tattoo includes like Chinese characters between the stem of the rose and the right leaf. It's very specific, yeah. Fortunately, law enforcement was able to track down the tattoo artist in Tucson, Arizona. Okay, which is amazing. They can do that, right? I know, that's crazy. Yeah. I wonder how they could do that. Yeah, the tattoo artist couldn't remember Betty, but he wanted to help any way he could. So you want to know what he agreed to do? He agreed to be hypnotized to try and remember who he'd given this tattoo to. This scares me. I don't I don't think I trust anyone enough to be hypnotized around. No, I don't either. I don't I never want to be hypnotized, but it's awesome that he was willing to do whatever to help in the case. 100%. If I could help in a cold case, I I would as well. Yeah. So a properly trained hypnotist um is it's possible they can assist people to recall details and recover forgotten memories. The tattoo artist was able to remember Bitter Creek Betty and specific details. He was able to recall memories of Betty coming into his tattoo parlor, which was located right next to the Triple T truck stop in Tucson, Arizona. He remembered her as a Hispanic woman with no identifiable accent. She wore a brown dress with little yellow flowers. He said that she lived a transient type lifestyle and had actually hitchhiked to the area. Which makes sense if no one in Sweetwater County knows her. She's just on the move constantly. Yeah. So these details helped Carl Koppelman, the famous forensic artist, sketch uh, Bitter Creek Betty in hopes of assisting her identification process. Again, you can see the picture that he created of Betty on our social medias. Carl sketched her in the brown dress with the little yellow flowers that the tattoo artist described. So... Carl Koppelman, he is amazing. I I heard an interview with him not too long ago about his work, and it's incredible. He does it all as a volunteer, non-for-profit. Yeah, just the details of having her dressed in the picture, you know, in her brown dress, the little flower, it it humanizes her. Yeah. She picked out that dress. Mm -hmm. She put it on that last morning that she was alive. Um, His work is just so important in helping these unidentified people actually be seen as real humans Mm -hmm. with smiles and personalities and as actual individuals. It's just really incredible what he can do. And the way he does, he just gives them life in their eyes in his pictures. He's he's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Officials worked night and day trying to spread the word of their Bitter Creek Betty. Sweetwater County circulated the forensic artist picture, dental records, and fingerprints and other identifying markers. But nothing came of it, Mal. Yeah, no one stepped forward to help identify Betty. No one seemed to have a connection to this sweet woman. That is until 2012. Wow, that's a long time. But let's take a break. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my balance of nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my balance of nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's balance of nature, promo code REDHANDED. 
A huge thank you to our sponsors. So we left off with the news that a new connection had been made to Bitter Creek Betty. The connection was not from a family relationship, but it actually came from another victim. Yeah, using new DNA technology, a specialized cold case unit discovered a link to Bitter Creek Betty from another Jane Doe. The person who attacked, raped, and murdered Bitter Creek Betty had done the same horrific crime to another woman. The suspect left DNA evidence with his victims. Um, spoiler alert, his DNA would lead to actually four counts of first degree murder and intentional homicide. Yeah, so we're going to go back to the afternoon of Monday, April 13th, 1992. Yeah, this is just six weeks after the discovery of Bitter Creek Betty and just about 350 miles away, Wyoming Department of Transportation employees were working just off the Interstate 90 near Sheridan, Wyoming. While performing routine maintenance in the southbound barrel ditch, the employees discovered a woman's body. It was obvious the body had been dumped there for quite a while. She she was partially mummified, um, and her clothing was very worn and faded. Police believe she had been killed somewhere else and possibly, again, thrown out of a traveling truck on I-90. This makes me so angry, the the way this man is disposing these women. It's just like throwing garbage out. It makes me so mad. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. his respect for women and people in general, it sounds like. Yeah. During the woman's post-mortem exam, the pathologists were able to gather evidence, including DNA evidence. With no trace of ID and no one stepping forward, she became another Jane Doe. They named her Sheridan County Jane Doe. The medical examiner believes she died sometime during February of 1992, to two months prior to her recovery. Yeah, she had been sexually assaulted as well and tortured before she was murdered due to severe head trauma. Sheridan County Jane Doe was just 16 to 21 years old. Oh, that's just a baby. That's so I know, young. So young. Her whole life ahead of her. Mm -hmm. She was Caucasian. She was about five foot six inches tall and about 110 pounds. She had brown, wavy, sun bleached hair. Due to decomposition, distinguishing marks, Scars, tattoos, and eye color could not be determined. Sheridan County Jane Doe was 10 weeks pregnant at the time of her death. This was actually her second pregnancy. She had given birth sometime before her death. She was found fully clothed except for no shoes or socks. She was found barefoot, so put a pin in that for later. She wore a light blue and white checkered midriff top with a tie in the front. She had on size 5'6 blue jeans with a white plastic belt and a silver buckle. Her bra was light blue lace and her bikini underwear was pink. She had on large brass hoop earrings. And can I just say, I think I wore this exact same outfit in 1992. I think every girl that age probably did. I just really relate with this victim. Yeah. Sheridan County Jane Doe's fingerprints, dental records, and DNA samples were all made available to law enforcement and news media. But unfortunately, her case went cold quickly. Yeah, and it stayed cold for 28 years. So now let's jump back to 2012. Bitter Creek Betty and Sheridan County Jane Doe have been linked to the same predator, um, a sadistic man who robbed both of them of their lives. Law enforcement had his DNA, but not his identity. So the authorities and the two Does were forced to continue to wait their hands were really tied. These investigators really had to have a lot of patience. They were honestly waiting for forensic science to catch up to where they needed it to be to identify this man. I 
decades. They're waiting decades. I, I bet they were just, I can't even imagine how they felt. No, mm-hmm. that takes a lot of patience. Seven years later, now we're in 2019, a cold case team decided to reopen a horrific unsolved murder from 1991. Little did they know that with this case, they would end up solving actually two additional murders from across the country. In the spring of 1991, Pamela Rose Aldridge McCall was 24 weeks pregnant. She was going to be having a baby girl. Her belly was round and seemed to grow larger each day under her ever-tightening t-shirts. Pam was a free spirit and liked to roam around the southern states. So yeah, she lived in a transient lifestyle and enjoyed her freedom, but she always made it home every few months. On March 2nd, 1991, Pam called her mom and they chatted for a while. Pam probably ended her phone call with an I love you and told her mom she would be home in just a few days. She was seen for the last time at a truck stop talking to truckers. Eight days later, on March 10th, 1991, Pam's body was found beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled to death. Yeah, she was left in an upright position just off of I-65 in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Probably thrown from another moving truck. Yeah. Sound familiar, Mel? I know. It's so sad. Um, Her socks and shoes were missing. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Yes, it does. There's a lot of things that sound familiar on these cases. Yeah, our Sheridan County Jane Doe was also found with no shoes and socks. Officials were able to collect DNA from sperm that was left on her pantyhose she was wearing the day of her death. They identified her and contacted her family. Um, They began the investigation, but also her case quickly went cold. Pam and her unborn baby were dead, and their murder was left unsolved for decades. But don't give up hope yet, Becky. (laughs) Okay. 28 years later, in April of 2019, Tennessee law enforcement reopened Pam's case. They hoped advancements in DNA technology could give them the answers they so desperately needed and had been waiting for. Yeah, the crime lab was able to actually extract the DNA the suspect had left on Pam's body and clothing. They were able to build a full DNA profile and the crime lab entered the information into CODIS. Okay, so let's talk about CODIS for a second. We do hear about it quite a bit, but what is it exactly? Yeah. CODIS is an acronym for Combined DNA Index System. Um, it's a software program that operates local, state, and national databases, so all of these are combined together. What did we do without CODIS? I don't know. That's oh amazing gosh, what the program yeah. does. Seriously, the database holds DNA profiles from convicted offenders, unsolved crime scene evidence, and even missing persons cases. It has everyone connected through this one database. It's amazing. Originally, it was intended to build upon the sex offender registry, but over time it has really expanded. All 50 states collect and contribute DNA from convicted felons. CODIS has contributed to 545 thousand investigations since its beginning in 1998. Don't we just love technology? Seriously, it's getting more and more difficult for these violent offenders to get away with their crimes. Yeah, it's awesome. So back to Pam McCall's investigation. They uploaded the DNA to CODIS from the DNA evidence, the sperm, and um, that came from Pam's clothing. Yeah. Remarkably, their suspect in Pam's case matched two other unsolved murders in Wyoming. And we know those cases that it is Bitter Creek Betty and Sheridan County Jane Doe. Now law enforcement just needed to know who and where their suspect was. 
Enter one of my favorite things ever, familial DNA. It's so amazing and so exciting what this technology can do. Mm -hmm. Using the science of familial DNA found in a commercial genealogy database. Which we know like Ancestry.com, 23andMe. Yeah. Detectives were able to focus on 59-year-old Clark Perry Baldwin of Waterloo, Iowa. Detectives traveled to Iowa and followed Baldwin during his normal day-to-day routine. Baldwin was a retired long-haul truck driver and had worked for Martin Transport. He had absolutely no clue that his violent past was about to catch up with him, and I love this part of our story. Law enforcement collected multiple DNA samples over the course of a few days. Samples were taken from a Walmart shopping cart and his garbage he had taken out for pickup. Man, I don't even want to think about what other things they got <laughs> off that Walmart shopping cart. Oh, I think the dedication of these detectives is amazing. It's so great. Yeah, it's so cool that they're just like stalking behind them and gathering what they mm-hmm. need. Yeah. Using these samples, officials were able to verify that they actually had the correct man. Clark Perry Baldwin had left seminal fluid with Bitter Creek Betty, Sheridan County Jane Doe, and Pamela McCall. Finally, their patience paid off. Baldwin was no stranger to the law, which is not a surprise. Yeah. Police discovered that he had several run-ins charged with, um, let's see, violent and nonviolent crimes in his past. Baldwin graduated from Nashua Plainfield High School in 1979 and worked as an over-the-road truck driver. He lived in Nashua and Waterloo, Iowa, and Springfield, Missouri. In 1991, in Wheeler County, Texas, Baldwin was charged with raping a young girl hitchhiker. He held her at gunpoint and threatened her life. His young victim told law enforcement that she was hit in the head and held against her will by Baldwin. With her hands and mouth bound, he sexually assaulted her and tried to choke her to death. And can I just say, this man is the worst. He's just disgusting. Mm -hmm. Baldwin was arrested and admitted to the assault. The victim, just 21 years old, was so scared she left the state of Texas. Tragically, Baldwin was released, actually, and all charges were dropped. I can't even think about this. Blows my mind. He just walked away. This was in 1991. How many lives could have been saved if this conviction would have stuck and worked out? We know of at least three, right? So sad. So I'm sure it just killed the the detectives that worked so hard on that case. I'm sure. So in 1992, Baldwin's ex-wife told police that he had once bragged about, quote, killing a girl out west um, by strangulation and then throwing her out of his truck. This is what he's bragging about in his life. Mm. Nothing came out of this information at the time. In 1997, Baldwin was indicted on counterfeit charges. He had created U.S. currency on a personal computer from his apartment while he was living in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah. Actually, the Secret Service raided his home, and he was sentenced to 18 months in prison. He was released in 1999. Can I just take a moment here? And it just makes me so angry that these violent offenders, it's so hard to catch them sometime. I mean, here he is holding a young woman by gunpoint and sexually assaulting her, but he gets locked up quite easily for some counterfeiting. I I know that that's just that way it goes, but it's just so aggravating to me that these violent offenders can can just slip away. Yeah, but you make fake money and then you're stuck in there. So Mm -hmm. sad. Yeah. So, yeah, let's take a minute. Thank you, Balance of Nature, for sponsoring Rocky Mountain Red Handed. 
Melanie, I love my balance of nature. I take it every single day. Balance of nature fruits and veggies contain 31 flash dried fruits and vegetables. 31. They are specifically selected for their combined effectiveness in strengthening the immune system, cell protection, and DNA repair. The fruit capsules contain 16 different fruits, including aloe vera, apple, banana, blueberry, cherry, cranberry, grape, grapefruit, lemon, mango, orange, papaya, pineapple, raspberry, strawberry, and tomato. Wow, Melanie, do you need a drink of water after that? That was a long list. Bounce Nature packs so much into their caplets. The veggies include a blend of 15 different pure whole vegetables. In the capsules, you'll find broccoli, cabbage, carrot, cauliflower, cayenne pepper, celery stalk, garlic, kale, onion, shiitake mushrooms, soybean, spinach, wheatgrass, yam, and zucchini. So go and order today so you can start taking your Balance of Nature vitamins. Go to balanceofnature.com and use code REDHANDED. Or you can use the link in our show notes. That's balanceofnature.com, code REDHANDED. Take your vegetables. Thank you again to our sponsors. We really appreciate your support. So we left off with law enforcement literally on Baldwin's heels. His time is almost up. On May 6, 2020, in Waterloo, Iowa, investigators with the 22nd District Attorney's Office in Tennessee, Wyoming Division of Criminal Investigation, and agents representing the FBI knocked on a certain apartment door. They introduced themselves and then immediately arrested Clark Perry Baldwin. Baldwin was extradited from Iowa to Tennessee and was charged with two counts of first-degree murder. One count for the murder of Pamela Rose Aldridge McCall and another count for the murder of her unborn baby daughter. I just love that he was charged with an extra count for this unborn baby. So yeah. cool that they, she was a person. She was a per, at, at 24 weeks. Yeah. She, she could have lived on her own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Baldwin was also charged with two counts of homicide in the state of Wyoming for the murder of Bitter Creek Betty and Sheridan County Jane Doe. Baldwin was arraigned on four counts of murder at Black Hawk County Jail. After waiving extradition proceedings, he was moved to Mari County Jail in Tennessee, where he is still detained. These three women, Bitter Creek Betty, Sheridan County Jane Doe, and Pamela Rose Aldridge McCall and Baby Girl McCall, waited almost 30 years for their suspect to be held accountable. Through the hard work of the detectives and the law enforcement agents, crime lab techs, genetic techs, I could just keep going. Clark Perry Baldwin will face his day in court. The advancements in forensic science has been just astounding in the last 20, 25 years. Don't you think, Mal? Yeah, it's amazing what they're Mm -hmm. doing now. There are so many organizations and databases to help assist in cold case investigations. If this interests you, you may want to check out the following organizations and websites. I, again, just go down another rabbit hole and just love checking this stuff out. Yeah, the Doe Network is a 100% volunteer organization devoted to assisting law enforcement in national and international cold cases. VICAP is the FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. It serves as a database of major violent crime cases in the U.S. involving unidentified human remains as well. 
Project Cold Case is a not-for-profit organization that publicizes unsolved homicides in the U.S. while linking information, families, and law enforcement. NamUs is a national resource and database for missing, unidentified, and unclaimed people. It assists investigators matching missing people with unidentified remains to resolve cases and bring resolutions to families. The Charlie Project profiles over 14,000 missing people, mainly from the U.S. It can be used as a publicity vehicle for missing people who are often neglected by the press and unfortunately forgotten all too soon. I love the Charlie Project. In fact, I'll tell you, I use all of these resources when when investigating these cases and researching them. Yeah, they're all really great resources for you. So here's the thing. Investigators and the public, including me, do not believe that Baldwin just stopped assaulting and murdering women just out of the blue. What do you think, Mel? No, definitely not. I mean, he is a sick man and just did terrible things. I can't, I can't imagine that he just stopped. Um, he was a long haul truck driver. He was constantly on the move from coast to coast. I cannot think of a better occupation for a serial killer yeah. because, and we love truckers, like truckers are amazing. They keep our nation going. Um, but to just go slip in and out of cities and states and just always on the move, it's a perfect occupation for a serial killer. I agree, which mm-hmm. is just so sad. Yeah. So chances are more cases are going to be linked to him in the future. Authorities are working cases that could possibly be linked to Baldwin. Yeah. In fact, I read an article that reported Jody Ewing, who heads up Iowa's cold case website, has given investigators a list of more than two dozen murders since 1980 that sounds like Baldwin's M.O. These murders include women who were beaten, strangled, stabbed, and left behind in ditches. One of these women was Rhonda Nutson. So, yeah, Rhonda is not in our Rocky Mountain region, but I just felt like she needed to be represented. Yeah, Baldwin at this point is not indicted with her murder, but many people do feel like he is the perfect fit, follows his M.O. We just don't know for sure yet. Yeah, but I believe that there are more victims out there, so let's let's shine a light on Rhonda's story. Yeah, she is just one of Baldwin's possible victims. In Williamston, Iowa, Rhonda, who was just 22 years old, was murdered while working the graveyard shift. She loved her job at Phillips 66 and regularly worked the 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. shift. She was involved in a serious relationship with her boyfriend, Al Wolf, whom she had met at the convenience store three years prior to her death. The happy couple had lived together for over two years. Then at 4.45 a.m. on Monday, September 7th, 1992, Rhonda's body was found by her store manager in the back room of the store. Yeah. Rhonda had been severely beaten with a blunt object on her head, neck, and face. Robbery was not considered a motive in Rhonda's murder. So it sounds like probably there wasn't money missing or Mm -hmm. items missing. The store just hadn't been robbed that day. Yeah, just violent. Yeah. The day after Rhonda's murder, a suspect was identified. Um, They thought it was an unknown trucker. Three days later, the Cedar Rapids Gazette printed composite sketches of two men who were persons of interest in this case. These sketches are posted on our social medias, and you will definitely want to see the resemblance. Yeah, plus, Iowa is Baldwin's home state. Yeah, Baldwin actually lived within 30 minutes of Rhonda's Phillips 66. A witness allegedly saw them in the Phillips 66 shortly before Rhonda was found dead. The men were described as white, 
heavy set, and with dark hair. They were believed to be between 35 and 45 years old. Witnesses described the first man as having a full beard and mustache. He was pulling a white and silver trailer with his semi-truck. The second man was described as clean-shaven and couldn't be linked to a vehicle. Forensic evidence and fingerprints were collected at the crime scene and are being tested. Again, Rhonda was not sexually assaulted, so authorities will not have DNA evidence for this test. Yeah, so we will keep you posted on any future information that is released about Rhonda's case. I hope and pray Baldwin is held accountable for any additional women he assaulted and murdered, including Rhonda. Yeah, and I just hope for closure for those families. That's just, it's heartbreaking to just not know what happened. Him, his three victims that he's been charged with have some similarities. Yeah, like all three of his verified victims were found with no shoes or socks on their feet, which how weird is that? Yeah, all three had brown hair and so did Rhonda. Two of his victims were pregnant and Pamela was quite pregnant. Yeah. Don't forget to share this episode. Um, there are so many victims that don't have mm-hmm. don't have closure because of this evil man. And so anything that we can do to share can help get the word out there. Um, we say it every week, but it's so true. Someone somewhere knows something. Yeah. Let's help these women be reunited with their names. So, you know, subscribe and and share this episode today. Yeah. We are glad Baldwin is behind bars. And I, for one, am looking forward to him standing in front of a jury. Yeah. So be safe. Lock your doors. And don't get into cars and trucks with strangers. Yeah. So we are going to move on and do our Rocky Mountain Redemption now. Yeah, we like to end our episodes with a little happy note. We have so many great people living in the Rocky Mountain states. So Mel, I'd love to hear some good news from the great state of Wyoming. Okay, sounds good. This story comes from Sweetwater County. Yep, that's the same county as my dad and Bitter Creek Betty. Thank you again to the Good News Network for this positive story. I love the Good News Network. They're like not even a sponsor and I just love them. Maybe we should uh, get them to be a sponsor. So if anyone has a connection there, (laughs) let us know. Um, A passerby is being hailed as a hero for risking his own life to help rescue a Wyoming family after their Jamestown home erupted in flames. A 34-year-old mother and her four young children, ages 12, 8, 6, and 4, wow, she's got her hands full, Mm -hmm. they were asleep in their home as it was on fire burning. Ryan Passborg was running late for work when he smelled smoke and saw flames coming from a bedroom window. When he didn't see any emergency lights, the 32-year-old decided to pull into the driveway. He then saw a young girl and two boys. The three said their mom and their four-year-old brother were still in the house. Passborg ran into the burning home. He could not see anything inside because of all of the heavy smoke, so he crawled on his hands and knees. He found the little boy, picked him up, and carried him outside. The wind chill temperature was well below zero. We are talking about Wyoming here. So he put the kids in his truck and ran back into the house. What a hero. Yeah. He found the woman lying on the floor. She was badly burned and really struggling to breathe. After dragging her outside, he noticed that she was unresponsive and no longer breathing. So he began performing life-saving measures until she suddenly took a gasp of air. 
Passborg then drove the family away from the now raging fire to the end of the driveway near the highway and awaited with them for the emergency first responders. Sheriff Deputy Jason Mower said he could not recall ever witnessing such courage and selflessness as that displayed by Ryan Passborg, who surely saved the lives of the young mother and son. Yeah, he said, quote, not only is it a blessing in its own right that Mr. Passborg was in the right place at the right time, but his willingness without a second thought to risk his own life to help save this family was the difference between life and death for this young mother and her child. He gave them a fighting chance. And that's from Sheriff John Grosnickel. That's not all. He was not done yet. Not only was his bravery on display, but his generosity and compassion Ryan Passborg later purchased several hundred dollars worth of clothing and necessities and delivered them to the family at their grandmother's house. Oh my gosh. What a good guy. Good what job, a, Ryan. I know. So good. I mean, and that mother and child, I, it sounds like they wouldn't have made it out. He literally saved their lives. Yeah. It's so crazy when we do these to see the huge difference in what a good person Ryan was and what a scumbag Baldwin mm-hmm. is. So let's all be good people. And I think let's be nice to I each think other. The majority of people are really good people. I agree. But yeah, we are so blessed to live in the Rocky Mountain states. We love our Rocky Mountain people. Wyoming, way to go. So, Mel, until next time, keep, keep your, your hands, hands clean. clean. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for supporting Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And please go follow us on our social medias. Um, We'd love to hear your comments and we want you to see all the pictures and the sources that we've posted. Our Instagram and our Facebook, again, are Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. And don't forget to email us. Yes. Mel, what's that email? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us your case recommendations from your local community. Have a great day. <laughs>